You guys ready? You ready? You ready? What's that? Yeah, right. All right, so I guess we're ready. We're a little bit late, I apologize, but you know, five o'clock start time. I want to make sure everybody had time to get over here and get off work and get through the traffic, you know how it is here in Somerville. So, but I appreciate everybody showing up. I, I recognize a lot of familiar faces out there. There are also some unfamiliar faces too. And I appreciate you taking the time out to, to come up here and see me talk and uh, how exciting that's going to be. I don't know, we'll find out. But um, I did wash my clothes, by the way. If you've looked at me while you've been here, you're probably saying, man, why well, didn't need to put some clean clothes on? But these are actually the clothes that I wore for 94 days on the river. So. Um, they have been washed, they have been cleaned, but they're just stained. You know, they got suntan oil, suntan oil, bug spray, mud, sweat, tears, all that kind of stuff all over them. So I just wanted to wear them uh, kind of as a nostalgia thing, I guess. But And they're comfortable and they're breathable. And I'm up here sweating already. So um, if, if you guys don't know me, I'll introduce myself. Uh, most of you probably do. But uh, who am I? This is me. This is a picture of me from Iraq uh, when I was stationed out there in 2006. I'm a Charleston native. I'm from here originally. I uh, moved out to Somerville mid-80s, um, I guess, 1986-ish, somewhere around there. It's my father, by the way, sitting here. So I'm asking him if that's correct. But So I've uh, been out here since, uh, been out here in Somerville longer than I've been in Charleston. Um, I'm a retired Air Force combat veteran. I did 22-plus uh, years in the Air Force as a physical therapy and occupational therapy technician. So that was my background there. Uh, former government contractor for the Marine Corps as well. I worked on a program called the Theater Medical Information Program, or where we provided uh, medical uh, software, um, medical record software for deployed Marines while they're out there in, in deployed locations to help get their care back to the state so they could get the, the care that needed and have the, the record recorded out there in, in uh, the deployed locations. Um, Beer tender extraordinary. A lot of you probably know me from around town. I used to work here, as a matter of fact, at Coastal Coffee for a little while. I've been a bartender over at Oak Brewing Brewing Company. I opened up uh, Lowe's Foods uh, Beer Den up there in Oak Brook and was a beer tender up there as well. And then, of course, a partner and, and uh, bartender at Homegrown Brew House for about three years before they sold the frothy beer over there. So been doing that. Also a previous endurance athlete. I don't do a lot of that stuff anymore, but uh, used to do marathons, ultra marathons, triathlons. That'll come into play here in a second, but uh, some Spartan races, got real big into that for a little while. I'm a full-time RVer now, so I bought a travel trailer, sold all my possessions uh, last year in my house and everything, bought a travel trailer and travel full-time as much as I can. That'll come into play as well. I'm a paddler, I do a lot of kayaking. Uh, first time I'd ever been in a canoe was in this canoe back here. If you guys have seen it, this is the actual canoe that uh, went 2,200 miles down the Mississippi River. All the equipment that you see in there is stuff that went down the river with me as well, as, as well as this, this clothing, like I said. Um, and I'm also a podcaster, so I'm recording this right now. So if any of you don't like being recorded, I'm sorry. It's too late. Um, you're being recorded. Uh, this will go up uh, on YouTube as, as a presentation. So if you want to share it with friends, family, and whoever, that would be great. Um, next slide. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry. I, I was gonna, I was gonna have you doing that initially, but it's too much stuff going on over there. So, um, so let's go back to the previous slide here. So I said these would come into play. Uh, the last four things there on that slide: uh, endurance athlete, full-time RVer, paddler, podcaster. 
kind of plays into how, how I got hooked up with Warrior Expeditions. <clears throat> Who are Warrior Expeditions? Well, they're a nonprofit. Um, they provide uh, long distance outdoor expeditions or what they call, call outdoor therapy for combat veterans. Um, how did I get hooked up with them? Well, a good friend of mine, an old boss of mine, a physical therapist that I worked with at Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, she actually lives on the Mississippi River out in, in Montana or uh, Minnesota. And she also spent some time in Iowa. So she contacted me one day last year and said, look, I've seen a lot of your pictures and your posts. You're doing a lot of kayaking. You're out on the water a lot. I know your background as far as an endurance athlete. Um, I know that you have a podcast that, that you can promote and do things with. And uh, you do a lot of social media posting and stuff. I think you would be, and you're you know, retired, you're an RVer full time. So you have time on your hands. But I think you ought to look up this company, uh, nonprofit Warrior Expeditions, I think it'd be right up your alley, it'd be a good fit for you. She said they provide all these uh, different expeditions and that uh, she thought the paddling expedition would be a, a great fit for me to do uh, because of the endurance aspect, uh, you know, having time on my hands, um, being a paddler and all those things. And I'll tell you what, being a paddler is an understatement. Um, after, do, after doing this trip, I was not a paddler at all. And I'm still, I still don't consider myself a paddler, but so, yeah, so they provide all these long distance expeditions. Um, it's only for combat veterans. They do 10 annual expeditions, and I'll go over that in the next slide. Uh, they do eight different hikes, uh, one biking expedition and one paddle. Actually started in 2012, uh, a guy named Sean Gobin. He's the, uh, the founder. And uh, one of the only three people that actually worked for this organization, I believe, behind the scenes. But he had gone on uh, three combat deployments himself. He was a, a former Marine. And when he came back, he decided to do the Appalachian Trail. While doing the Appalachian Trail, of course, he got a lot of therapeutic benefits out of it. And you know, the long distance expedition, he had a lot of time to think and kind of regroup after his deployments and kind of reintegrate himself into society, get back into society and kind of make those connections with people again. You know, you kind of segregate yourself from uh, society sometimes after you get on those expeditions or the deployments. So, he decided to do that and he got all these therapeutic benefits out of it. He said, hey, maybe this is something that could benefit all these other people coming back from war. And, uh, you know, PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and um, just trouble integrating back into society in general. So he put together this program. 2015, I think, is when the Warrior Paddle actually started. So it came, it came along later. He just kept adding and adding more and more expeditions as it went along. Uh, about 400 people apply for these expeditions every year and 40 people get selected. So they uh, distribute four people out to each one of these expeditions. So four for the paddle, four for the bike, so on and so forth. All the expeditions are fully supported. So all the, all the gear that you see over here and, and a lot of gear that, that I didn't even bring with me was all donated and given to us as far as part of the program. So we got to keep all that. As long as we complete the expedition, you get to keep all the gear. Uh, you get to keep everything, but they... They threatened us and said, if you don't get to the Gulf of Mexico, we're taking your canoe back. So everybody made sure that they got to the Gulf. Um, so yeah, that's fully supported. They give you all the clothing. They give you um, the canoe, the equipment, uh, your initial food uh, stuffs that you bring with you. And then you also get a, a $300 a month stipend as well. So every, you know, when we run out of our initial food that they gave us, about seven days worth, then we uh, stop in towns and have to replenish all this stuff for ourselves. So 300 bucks doesn't go a long way, especially if you're stopping in these towns and, and you don't want to just go to Walmart and, and pick up some tuna and some different things. You want to go get you a burger and have some beers. 
that 300 bucks doesn't last a long time, but they made sure that we had other sources of income before we got on the river. So we weren't just uh, relying on 300 bucks a month. Um, what else was I going to say up there? Can you throw the website up there, Eric? No, on the. Is it up there? Oh, it's on. It's on the thing. Never mind. I had it up here. I forgot. I forgot. You're not going to see it on there. So. So you can go to warriorexpeditions.org, and I did have the website up there, but get with me afterwards if you want to. But they're always looking for um, people to donate. You know, they need money to, to operate these nonprofits. They um, are also looking for sponsors. So. You know, we were sponsored by Old Town Next Canoes. We were sponsored by uh, 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 Carlisle Paddles, um, Granite Gear. I've got a slide with all this stuff on it. So if you're looking to support something like this, and maybe you've got a product that you think would be useful on an expedition, whether it be a hike or a paddle or something, go to the website. You can email them. Let them know that you'd like to be a supporter in some way, shape, or form. That'll bring us to the next slide here. Here are all the, the trails that they do, or all the expeditions that they do. I'm not going to read all that for you. I'll let you just kind of take a second to see what they do. And if at any time during this you have any questions, please don't hesitate to stop me and ask me a question. Uh, we can save them all to the end if you want, but if you don't want to try and remember something to the end, just pop up and let me know. So, yeah, so this is what we did, the Mississippi River. Um, the river itself is actually 2,341 miles-ish. You know, it, it changes, the river changes uh, just based on the flow and all the stuff that comes into it and all these major tributaries and rivers that, that flow into it. So the, mover, the river actually moves and shifts and all the ground and the sand and everything, the sediment makes new pathways and it extends it. It actually has extended, I think, the gulf by like 50 miles at this point over the last few hundred years, just all the sediment that comes down and goes to the gulf. So it, it changes. We actually did roughly 2,200 miles, and I'll tell you why here in a second once we get to another slide, but so we did a little bit shorter than what that, than what that looks like there. But this is all the stuff. What I've heard from Sean is it's, it's become kind of a cumbersome thing to, to manage and, and do all these trails. So I think they're gonna be getting rid of a few of the smaller ones, uh, some of the, the less popular ones, I guess, and they'll keep you know the, the, the river paddle, they'll keep, um, the big trails, Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and some things like that, but they will be downsizing from what I've heard a little bit, so. Uh, this is just some of the gear. I'm not gonna go over all that as well. I mean, if you wanna look at some of it and talk to me about the canoe, you can do that after the, after the talk here, but this is just some of the stuff that, uh, some of the companies that provide support for this thing. Uh, probably the biggest ones on there would be the Old Town Next, uh, the canoes, of course. The, uh, the tent and the sleeping bag, you know, invaluable. We got to have those. Some of the other things we could probably do without, but uh, like I said, they gave us the initial clothing, the initial food to start with, various other items, you know, bug spray, uh, suntan lotion, or SPF, all those things. The stipend we talked about. Here's a few facts about the, the, the Mississippi River. It's actually the second longest river in North America. Uh, the first is the Missouri. I think the Missouri has I don't know, 100 miles or something on the, on the Mississippi. It's not that much of a difference. Uh, and the Missouri actually flows into the, uh, the Mississippi at one point. It goes from, if you're going from a source to sea, which is what we did, it goes from Lake Itasca, Minnesota, to the Gulf of Mexico. So we actually, me and the three other guys, I had, had two Army retired 
and a retired Marine that went with me. We didn't know each other at all, you know, before we started this thing. So about three days prior to this expedition, we, we met each other. We, uh, we all flew into Minnesota. We had to get our own plane ticket. They, that's the only thing they didn't supply, which after they supplied all this other stuff, I don't know why they didn't provide the ticket to get us to the start of the thing. But um, and then when you got to the end, you had to, to figure out your own way home as well. So right so yeah so we all got into minneapolis you know we stayed a couple of days there enjoyed the mall of america and some different things up there and uh they picked us up there in minneapolis and drove us up to the to the start up here which was called the lobos lobos cabins and um bar and grill or something i think it was so there was two or three cabins up there some tent sites where you could actually tent but we actually had the cabins so we got up there stayed in the cabins <clears throat> We did uh, three days worth of training and then set up on the water. So uh, the training included, you know, they sat down and just kind of gave us the history of, of the organization. Um, never actually put us in the water, so I don't even know how these people actually verified that we even knew how to swim, much less how to paddle a canoe down the river, but I guess they trusted it. But uh, part of our recommendations on the after action report was, you know, at least put somebody in the water for a second, let them paddle around in a circle and make sure they know what they're doing. Uh, so we went over just all the gear, we set up the tents, we uh, set up some of the equipment, we went through some of the, the bag items that they gave us, you know, a first aid kit, uh, there's another bag full of toiletry type items, and another bag full of all the initial food stuff, and I say food stuff. It really, it was another thing we put on the after action report was, it looked like they had emptied a, a vending machine and just gave us the contents of a vending machine to start this trip. Snickers bars, Pop-Tarts, Cliff bars. I mean, everything that you needed, just sugar, carbohydrates, calories is what they really felt like you needed to. And I, I told the guys, I said, look, I'm a, I'm a, a fat adapted athlete. I kind of follow the keto, low carb style lifestyle. And they're like, well, that's not gonna work for you on this trip. You need calories, you need carbohydrates, you need sugars. And I said, well, I think I'll try it my way and see, see if I can do it my way. And that's what I did. Um, I think it was easier than the other guys that were trying to, to live off the sugars and constantly replenish their, their hunger and all these types of things with, with carbohydrates. I thought it worked a lot better at the slow pace and the, the slow heart rate and the, the just, you know, it wasn't high intensity working out. It was working out every, every day, but it wasn't high intensity. So I thought fat burning was a lot more efficient fuel than uh, carbohydrate burning. So it, it seemed to work out for me. Um, what else we got up here? Excuse me? Um, I got a lot of fish. I mean, fish was kind of my mainstay. So you just go to the fish section there at Walmart. Walmart was our resupply. Give them a plug, I guess, Walmart, but they do have everything you need. Um, we use a lot of their dehydrated meals. So if you're going through the camping section, they have, uh, I think, Mountain Backpackers brand or some kind of Backpackers brand. Dehydrated meals that you rehydrate with our jet boil that they gave us. We, you know, boil water and rehydrate. But... I used a couple of those if they were kind of on the low carb end. Um, the rest of the guys use those pretty much extensively for dinners and things. But I would go in and get the tuna and the salmon and the herring and the sardines and the oysters and just all the all the fatty fish um, is what I use mainly. Um, keto is kind of a big word now, so everybody has some sort of item out there. Slim Fast at uh, at uh, Walmart has a, a keto line of Slim Fast stuff, so it's low carb, low sugar stuff as well. So a lot of that peanut butter, um, low-carb tortillas. I mean, anything you can put into a tortilla, we put into a tortilla. That was our main 
bread that we used on the river. You know, it's pretty, pretty hardy. It had a Ziploc bag. It stayed fresh for a long time. So everything, I mean, everything into a tortilla. I don't care what it was. And some of the combinations you would probably not be very happy about. But uh, you eat what you got to eat when you're out there on the river. We didn't do, a lot of people ask us, do we fish? Do we take a fishing pole and catch our own fish? We could have, and some people do. But we were just focused on paddling. We didn't really, we were, we were focused on energy conservation, let's put it that way. So we, anything that took extra energy to do, we didn't do. So fishing was extra energy, building a fire at night was extra energy. I mean, so every now and then you would do some of those things, but we didn't fish at all, not one time. Now, we did have some fish in our boat, but, <laughs> but we didn't fish. There's some stuff out there called Asian carp that have kind of invaded this river, especially on the, uh, I think the Illinois is where they first, the Illinois River is where they first uh, populated and they, they come in. We went through sections of this river after we passed the Illinois where it, where it confluences with the Mississippi. And I, some of you probably saw some videos if I posted them out there. I posted a link, an uh, article on the, on the fish itself. But these guys were just, if you made enough noise in the water, they were just popping all over you. I mean, you'd be going down a section of the river and you'd have 20 or 30 Asian carp just jumping over your boat, in your boat, into your boat, under your boat and it would scare the crap out of you. And I mean, we're talking fish, you know, two, three feet in length. I mean, they're giant fish. Um, some, one of my guys got hit in the ribs, had, had sore ribs for the next couple of days. They were dangerous fish, but they were fun. They were fun. They were a good time. Uh, what else here? Uh, science has estimated it takes a drop of water 90 days to go from the source to the sea. So a raindrop when it hits, I don't know how they estimate it, but it takes 90 days to go from the source all, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it took uh, this tall drink of water here 87 days, so I, I beat the average, I guess. Um, the other, uh, well, I won't talk about the other paddlers, but I, I, I had a couple less days than everybody else, and I'll, I'll explain why down the road here. But the river itself actually dropped, and I'll show you on a map here in just a second, but it actually drops 1,475 feet from the source to the sea, so it's kind of coming downhill to the Gulf. At the beginning, before we even get to Minneapolis, and the first, I'll show you on another map, I think it's the next slide, but the first third of this whole trip is actually in Minneapolis. I mean, we go through 10 different states, but a third of the trip, you're in uh, Minnesota, I'm sorry, not Minneapolis. And uh, it's kind of disheartening, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going 28 to 30 days and you haven't even left one state yet and you got nine other states to go by. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of defeating at the beginning. And, and you also start going north. You're not even going south when you first start off. You're going north, and you finally come up, um, I don't know, it's a good couple hundred miles before you even start making a turn east, and then you start coming south again. There's 13 uh, dams that require portaging prior to Minneapolis. So before we even get to Minneapolis, we're not even out of the first state yet. We've got 13 different dams that we have to portage and go around. If you look at the canoe uh, on your way out, you'll see some wheels back there. A lot of people think, it's maybe a steering wheel or a fan of some sort that we hook up for power, but it's actually a portage wheel. So you put it underneath the canoe and that allows you either to pull, drag, push your canoe and all your equipment over these, around these 13 dams. Uh, some of them might've been 200 yards. I think the biggest one that we had to portage was a mile and a half. So you gotta just, you know, drag your canoe. You got your bucket, that's probably 60 to 80 pounds, depending on what you got in it. Uh, your backpack, you got your cooler, all your stuff, and you gotta drag all this stuff. Um, up and down hills and through grass and down some steps here and there. So it wasn't just a nice smooth path that they had paved out for you. 
it took some work. Once you get done with the 13 dams that you got a portage around, then there's actually 27 what they call locking dams. So it'll be a dam set up, but there's actually a lock that locks the water on either side. Uh, you pull into the dam, or you pull up to the to the lock. I'm sorry, and you you either call the the lock. Um, you can pull. There's a, a, a pull string on the on the lock itself. If you don't have a way to communicate, you can pull it, and they'll let you know. That'll let them know somebody's there waiting to lock through. Or there's a phone number you can actually call them. The easiest way is on a VHF radio to call in and say, hey, uh, you know, we got four southbound canoes um, looking to lock through, you know, lock 20, lock two or three, whatever the lock is. They'll open the gates up and let you know there's a, you know, a light system, a red light, a, a yellow light, a green light that lets you know, okay, it's okay to enter the lock. The green light will be flashing. You paddle in, they throw some lines down over the side and you'll, and I'll, I got some pictures later on, you'll see You'll see us in the locks, but you go in and just basically hold on to this line. They close the gate behind you. We're, we're dropping, you know, uh, 1,400 feet all the way down to the Gulf. So we're actually dropping each lock we go through. They lower the, the level of water in that lock down to the level of the next pool that you're going into. So you might be at lock number one. You're going into pool two. So you just left pool number one. You're now going into pool two through lock one. The level drops, you get to your next lock, the level drops, and it's all the way down. You're just going, dropping into these different pools of water. And again, I'll show you something on that here in a second. But um, Then you got one other lock that enters. So this is all the way down to St. Louis, 27 locks from Minneapolis to St. Louis. And then we had one additional lock uh, way down, once we got way down toward the end, um, we went into what they call the Atchafalaya River, or the Atchafalaya Swamp. So that's just a second uh, direction that you can go to get out to the Gulf, and that's the direction that the Warrior Expeditions has all of us take. Uh, it's a little bit safer. You, you, you can go through Baton Rouge and New Orleans. There's a lot more traffic down there. You got bigger container ships that you have to run into. The barges just get more and more massive. You have uh, now you got cruise ships you got to deal with. It's just a lot busier ports down there. So just it's a lot safer to go through the swamp. So that's why they have us go through there versus going through and dealing with all this traffic. They actually recommend that you have a, a support boat if you really want to try and tackle the, the Baton Rouge, New Orleans section because it's just so dangerous. Um, I actually got a couple friends of mine that are going through that right now. They left about a month after us. Just getting ready to finish uh, this coming Monday or Tuesday, I believe. So they decided not to go to the swamp section. The Etchfly Basin is the largest swamp land in North America. So it is actually a swamp. It looks like a river when we first started it, but the further and further we got into that swamp, you actually said, okay, now, now we realize this is a swamp. Uh, down the entire river, there's species of mammal, 360 uh, fish, 145 amphibians, 326 birds. Probably the most, I mean, yeah, I probably saw all those, really. But the most memorable, I guess, was we saw over 300 bald eagles along the trip. And then I think once we got into the swamp, we counted about 73 alligators. So. Those are probably the two most memorable animals. Uh, we didn't see any bear for some reason. We thought we'd see some up in Minnesota, but we did not. But tons of birds. Um, really, the only amphibians I can think of, you know, besides maybe a frog or something here and there, a lizard, but was the alligators. Ton of fish, all kind of different variety of fish. Those are all the states that you go through. So the ten different states. The narrowest part of the river is when we first started. Uh, this canoe over here is 29 feet wide. 
So at the beginning of <clears throat> the beginning of the river, I mean, you're looking at 20 to 30 feet wide, if that, because this year we had a record low uh, water levels this year. Um, I don't know when it's ever been this low, but it's, it was record low. So we started the headwaters. We literally, you, you can walk across the Mississippi River at the headwaters. There's, there's a, a rock path where you can actually say you walked across the Mississippi River and we put in the water and probably not 40 feet down the river, we had to get out and, and you know drag our boats across um, a section. So we hadn't even been in the water uh, a few hundred feet before we had to get out and, and do our first walk. It probably took us uh, three hours to go about the first three miles. And after that, our team, because uh, Warrior Expedition stayed with us for the first four to five days just to make sure we you know, knew what we were doing, how to navigate, all the equipment worked, and they didn't need to replace anything right off the bat. We went those three miles in three hours, and the team finally decided they were going to pull us out because the water was so low, the vegetation had grown so much, you know, the rice fields and everything else that were there, we could literally not figure out where we we're going. I mean, there was no way to navigate and get through this section. We would have killed ourselves. So they made a command decision to pull us back out after we had communicated back with them quite a few times. And look, this is, we have no idea where we're going. We can't navigate. There's no water. I mean, we can't see anything. So we're literally, you know, in mud up to our knees trying to, trying to pull our canoes and drag through these weeds and get out. They made a decision to pick us up and they, uh, got all our gear packed back up in, in the vans and drove us about 40 miles downriver to uh, Lake Bemidji, which is our first lake that you come to on the river and put us back in at Lake Bemidji. So we skipped about the first 40 miles because you just couldn't do it. I mean, it was ba basically a hike at that point. You know, you're not even in the river. So I think that, I think they said that was the first time they've done that since 2015, since they've been doing this. Last year they had to cancel because of COVID, but the first time they've had to take somebody out of the river because there was just no river. Uh, the widest is that Lake Winnebagashish, which is also in uh, Minnesota. It's about 11 miles wide at that point, and that is considered still the river. Uh, water skiing was actually invented there. It was kind of a cool point that I found. It's uh, narrowest at the headwaters at mere inches. I should have said yeah. shallowest is what I should have said there, and it's deepest in New Orleans down at 200 feet. We never saw that, but, and you wouldn't see that anyway, but that's how deep it gets in the river. And actually, the river's been swum twice, and once in 66 days, which is less than we paddled it in a canoe. I don't know how that works, but. All right. That's the Mississippi. So this is just a small map. As you can see, uh, like I said, up here at the top, you can see how it kind of starts to go north, and then it comes around and starts going south again. But these are all the states that you go through, actually, in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, you hit a point where you're actually in three states at one point. And um, there was one other place too, I think it was Tennessee, Arkansas, and Missouri, I believe, that you're actually in three different states at one point. Most of the time down the river, obviously, you're, you know, you're splitting the river between two different states. So you might have Iowa on one side and you got Wisconsin on the other, Illinois on one side, Iowa on the other. All the way down, you're, depending on what side of the river you decide to stop on, you'll sleep in one state or the other um, on the side of the river. This is where it comes down here. This is where that split is. So this, this side here going to the west is the Atchafalaya Swamp. It shaves off about 150 miles off of the trip. So that's why uh, we only did about 2,200 miles versus 2,341-ish or whatever. Um, then of course, if you go the other way through Baton Rouge and New Orleans, you still hit the Gulf. It's just a longer distance and, and more traffic. So 
we actually came out of the swamp here. We hit the, the Gulf of Mexico and we, we did about two miles in the Gulf around this point here to a place called Burns Point Park. And that's where we got out and uh, finished our trip, so. And then, I don't know how well it shows up here, I guess, but this is the actual, the lock and dam. So this is all the lock and dams that you go through from uh, Minneapolis all the way down to St. Louis, 27 of them. And you can see how, you know, the elevation change once those pools, uh, the lock drops down to that next pool. It just steps its way all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and you can see the level changes there. Like the very first lock that we went through, I think was had a 45 foot drop. So you're sitting inside that lock in this chamber. If anybody ever remembers uh, Star Wars, uh, the trash compactor that you go into and they're, they're squeezed into this trash compactor. That's what it feels like when you're in these locks. And some of the sounds you hear are what it sounded like in Star Wars as well. It's kind of creepy. But um, so yeah, 45 foot drop in that very first lock, which was disheartening because I, I wasn't looking forward to the locks anyway. I mean, just getting up to it was, was kind of a daunting. And then to get in there and have that thing drop and you're just in this sarcophagus, you know, of a tomb. And you're looking back at the, the gate behind you that they closed and you're, you're seeing a little bit of water trickle through this lock and you're hoping, or through this gate, you're hoping that gate just doesn't break loose and all this water just, you know, millions of gallons of water flood down against you and, and just slam you into the front gate. But, so yeah, the water drops and the, the gate will open. They'll sound a horn to let you know it's okay to, to pull out. Most times we were in the locks all by ourselves. Um, but a few times you'd be in there with a, sail a sailboat or a recreational boat. Uh, one time we were in there with an actual tug. You were never in there with barges because the barges are just too big. You can't get in there with the barge itself. Um, and then the rest of this thing is just going to be just going through a few of the pictures that I put together. And then we'll just open it up for some questions if, if that's okay with you guys. So if you guys followed along on my Facebook, my Instagram, I mean, I took just picture after picture of the sky. I mean, this is all we saw. We saw skies just... You could not believe the skies that you saw. Sunsets, uh, sunrises, um, the cloud cover. A few days, and I couldn't, I couldn't find the pictures that I had taken, but a few days we had mist where you couldn't even see this far in front of you. I mean, a foot or two in front of you. There was a couple of days where we just pulled off to the side of the river and, and said we're going to wait for the mist to, to burn off because it's, it was just so thick. You could not see in, in front of your face. And you don't want to be out there. You know, the barges and everybody else, they got radar and all these things they can through the mist, but we didn't have that luxury, so we didn't want to get in, stuck in some traffic, some more skies. Um, the one thing we love to see, I mean, you know, we like the solitude of the river, obviously. You like the, the nature and, and not seeing any industry and, and just having nothing but birds and all this stuff flying around, but whenever you did see a bridge, you knew that civilization was coming and that you were going to have a stop, a place to stop, maybe to get a drink or maybe get some lunch or maybe have a breakfast early in the morning if you didn't want to eat, you know, the stuff that was in your, in your bag or in your cooler. So when we saw a bridge off in the distance, and trust me, they were in the distance, because you would think, oh, there's the bridge, you know, we'll be there in, in 10 minutes, and, you know, an hour later, you finally get to the bridge. It looked, it was a lot further, farther away than it looked. But uh, the bridges, you were very happy to see them. And every major town, you know, had a bridge. This one, I thought, reminded me of the, who remembers the old Cooper River bridges, you know, here in town. That reminded me of that. I can't remember what town now. I want to say that was outside of uh, Vicksburg, I think, Mississippi. 
Uh, camp, you know, camp was what it was. I mean, we slept anywhere from, in the state of Minnesota, they do a very good job, the Department of National Resources. They do a great job of setting up all these campsites along the river. So they're set up specifically for canoeists. I mean, they've got a, a big canoe sign that says, welcome, you know, canoers. So they had a very good system set up in Minnesota. We pretty much, uh, you know, we had big maps in the front of the canoe. We also used Google Maps and all these different things on your phone. But we had these big paper maps from the Department of Natural Resources that we, we navigated with initially. And they had all these campsites listed on there. Um, once we got through there, we had to kind of pick and choose where we stayed. It might be a boat ramp. It might be a state park. It might be an actual you know, campsite, RV site or whatever that has some tent uh, sites available. It might be like you see here just on the side of the river on a, on a beachfront, on a sandbar. Uh, yeah, this one was actually at a boat ramp here. That was our very last stay on the river, as a matter of fact, was at this boat ramp. Um, our very last stay in a tent. We actually stayed one more place after that, but it was not in a tent. Um, but yeah, you'd be just, you know, beachfront right here, just watching the traffic go by and the boats would be right there in front of you. Sometimes they'd honk at you, sometimes they wouldn't. Um, if it was nighttime, they got these giant spotlights that they're shining across the river to, to look at focal points on the river and you might get a giant spotlight in your tent in the middle of the night um, as you're trying to navigate the river themselves. And yeah, I mean, this is it. So tents, I mean, this is pretty much what we did 90% of the time. Now, Warrior Expeditions does provide uh, community support along the river as well. So they provided us a list of names and all the major cities of a supporter that has gotten on the website, warriorexpeditions.org, and said, hey, I want to be a supporter. I want to support these guys as they go down the river or the trail or whatever it is. So they, they call these guys river angels. Um, I think Cody on yours, they call them trail angels, I guess, or something, right? Cody back here did the Appalachian Trail, by the way. Uh, not with war expeditions, but just on his own. Um, so we, we might have supporters set up, a VFW, an American Legion. They try to use you know, military-style supporters because it is a military type of organization. Um, but it was also some... Uh, and they would normally put us up in a hotel, you know, there locally. Um, sometimes we stay an additional night in a hotel. We pay for that out of our pocket. But they, they provide the bill, put up the bill for the first night. And then they would provide us a meal and maybe take us to the VFW. And they would take us into town to Walmart and let us uh, resupply our supplies and things like that. But then other supporters, you know, we, we stayed in uh, somebody's RV one time. We stayed on somebody's back porch in our, in our sleeping bags. Um, one place we stayed at a... Uh, a kayak uh, rental uh, store and stayed in their backyard and just pitched a tent in their backyard. So it, it just depended. The, the type of support we got might be different along the way, but usually it was some sort of air-conditioned, you know, building. Um, uh, you know, one of the people, they sent their kids uh, to a neighbor's house and uh, let us sleep in their kids' bedrooms, you know. So people just along the river just were amazing supporting. But the tents is what we mainly stayed in. And... Um, you know, it's just a single person tent. I mean, I'm, I'm six foot one. I, if I stretched out all the way, I mean, my, my feet were touching the, the end of the tent, my head was touching the other side of the tent. So they were pretty small accommodations, but it's all you needed. You know, we had a little sleeping pad, you brought your own pillow. Um, you know, I had my iPad with me, so I was able to watch some TV shows and whatever, but so life was, was okay, semi-normal, I guess. Lunches, this is what I was talking about. You know, everything went, went good on a, on a tortilla. Uh, this was 
probably one of my big indulgences as far as carbohydrate, I guess, if you could say. Um, I decided I was going to stay, try and stay at 100 grams of carbohydrates or less. So my only real indulgence as far as the carbohydrate was honey. And I figured it was a little lower on the glycemic index and a little better um, carbohydrate than, than some others. So one of my big main lunch meals when we would stop uh, for lunch would be uh, peanut butter and honey on a low-carb tortilla. Uh, these are some... Something alive? <laughs> no. Um, the top picture up there, we had a lady actually come. Oh, I think she said an hour and a half drive uh, to come and meet us at this one town she knew we were going to be stopping at and brought us brownies. Adventure meals. So Mountain House Adventure Meals. That's the, the dehydrated meals we normally got from, um, from Walmart. That's our jet boil. So you just boil you know, a cup, a cup and a half, two cups of water, whatever it called for. You dump it in there, you stir it up, it rehydrates, and you got a meal. Um, I kept some spices just to kind of keep things spiced up a little bit. What's that? Yeah, the jet boil, um, yeah, it's actually got a, you know, a burner there at the bottom, or, or gas at the oh, bottom okay. that you screw on. It's got a burner, so it, it boils the water. It takes about, I don't know, 60 seconds or something to boil, boil the water. Some more stuff. Um... The one on the right, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that was a home cooked meal. But the one, I can't remember what campsite this was, but we were, you know, all across the river in, uh, I think it's in the ne next slide maybe, but we had what we called river magic. So you had river angels, you know, angels along the river that would provide support and, and take you in and give you a place to sleep or whatever. <clears throat> but you also had river magic, and that would be just not expecting something. It jokes me up thinking about it because, you know, people were so good on the river. They were, you know, to me, the biggest takeaway of this whole trip is the people that were along the river. And it still chokes me up. I don't know why, but so this particular site, we had this campsite and the guy brings over his crock pot and says, hey, we just made all this corned beef and hash or whatever it was, some peppers, some kind of beef and said, you guys want it? And we're like, yeah, hell yeah, we want it. So <laughs> we took it and, uh, you know, this is, yeah, this is my tortilla. This was one of my, my paddling partners. He called this keto cheese. And I said, that's not keto cheese, I promise you. But that's what he named it. He said, I'm going to put some keto cheese on it. So I, I went ahead and borrowed some of his cheese and put some on it. So I, I made kind of like a Philly cheesesteak tortilla wrap, I guess, is what I made that day. So, but yeah, people would just bring us stuff, you know, whether it be beer, bottled water, crock pots full of food. Um, what's that? Yeah. yeah. This was uh, the very last place we stayed. This was a place called Atchafalaya Dreaming. So this was actually on the Atchafalaya River. And uh, we just happened to come across this place. Um, I was searching uh, some River Angel stuff. There's a page out there on Facebook for Mississippi River Angels. And um, I just happened to come across this guy's name, Danny Majors. Uh, he runs this place. It's not an official business, but he, he named it Atchafalaya Dreaming. And um, I contacted him. I said, look, we're, we're short on water. We're short on uh, 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 electricity for all our stuff. You know, we use a bunch of power banks and stuff to, to charge all our laptops and our phones and stuff so we can navigate. You got had to have power. Uh, we only have paper maps for the first, uh, for the headwaters through Minnesota and then the, um, the upper and lower Mississippi. So once we got down to, to 
some of these other spots, we had to have something to navigate with, which was Google Maps is what we used. Found this guy, I contacted him, said, hey, can we come and stay uh, the night? We just need to get some water. We need to, just a nice place to sleep for, for a night and, um, and recharge all our stuff. And he said, yeah, absolutely, come on by. And, and that's what he does. I mean, pretty much, he, he's an ordained minister um, for his real job, but his, his secondary job is just being a river angel on this uh, swamp. So he, uh, we pulled in, uh, told him we were gonna be there around 4.30. I don't think we showed up until about 6.30 because uh, the current had dropped, um, so we didn't have as much flow going on. I think we had some major headwinds, uh, a little bit more traffic. I think we got stuck in, oh no, there wasn't any locks at that point. So I think it was just um, the flow of the river, the headwinds, some different things that delayed us by a couple hours. So he kept checking in with us, you know, do you have a new ETA? So we'd give him a new one and that one would fall through. And by the time we finally got there and, and pulled up off the river and got up to his spot, to his house, he had this giant pot of jambalaya cooking right there. And he, I told him, he said, what kind of beer do you want? I said, he said, is there anything you need? And I said, well, we'd like some beer. He said, what kind of beer do you like? And I said, well, anything, you know, one of our guys likes like a lager, a Pilsner type thing. I said, me and the other guy, that there was three of us at that point. Um, so we kind of like the IPAs. We get there, and McUltra is what he decided to get us. So I don't know. And I even told him, I said, we like to support locals. So if you got something local, we. So I don't know where McUltra came in. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of, speaking of local, when we were up in uh, around the St. Louis area, it seemed like the entire state of Missouri, everybody was drinking Bush Light. And I mean, it's, it's an Anheuser Busch town. I mean, that's where Anheuser Busch is in St. Louis, but. It just was kind of funny to us that nobody was drinking the Budweiser Bud Light. It was all Bush Light for some reason. I guess it was cheaper. But So, yeah, that was our last official home-cooked meal on the river right there. And he actually cooked his breakfast and some bacon and stuff the next morning. And we took a, he made us a big to-go baggie of, of jambalaya and, and uh, some bread. And I think he had some brownies. He gave us a big to-go bag of everything to take with us. So. Uh wildlife i didn't put a lot of wildlife stuff on here but tons of birds the birds were always showing off for us and, and prancing around and just tons of them the probably the biggest uh one that made the biggest impression on me was the black tip pelican i've actually got one of the feathers i didn't pluck it off of the guy but <laughs> i found it you know just on the ground and picked up a bunch of feathers and i got some of them that went all the way down the river with me here so uh this is not an asian carp but this is just a little minnow that jumped into my boat one day at the end he was cool. Uh, of course, we saw tons of deer. Uh, this is one of the very first photos I took on the right here. That was a, a just a random um, a random donkey sitting along the river. So I made this post, you know, what jackass would paddle the entire Mississippi River. But, but we saw cows, you know, all kind of weird kind of farm animals and stuff, really. But these guys just watched us. Uh, this was my little friend. I don't know if any guys followed along, but this is Hitch. I did a little... Uh, little video series about Hitch. He was my, he rode with me for 30 miles down the river. So I did a couple uh, small little videos of me and Hitch, you know, traveling down the Mississippi River, like a Huck Finn type thing, I guess. But I don't know what happened to him. Actually, we got, so he went 30 miles down the river with me. And um, we got to this one uh, sandbar campsite. That actually was the campsite where my tent blew over on me. The wind gusts, we were kind of on an exposed sandbar. We kind of were up and it was exposed to the wind. It wasn't a, big, it wasn't a tree line or anything. And the winds picked up to about 35 mile an hour gusts that night. And actually, you know, I had three 
three stakes on each side of the tent and one on each end, all three of my stakes came off of the uh, of my left side of my tent and actually the wind rolled me over while I was inside the tent. But that was the campsite that, that Hitch ended up going to us or to with us. I didn't take him in, I should have taken him in my tent with me. I don't know what happened to him. But, <laughs> but I had uh, this little pole, this little post that I got on my tent here. I had a hat, my hat attached to it. And he was just kind of hanging out up underneath my hat. So that night, you know, I went and picked it up. He was still sitting there. I said, all right, Hitch, we'll see you in the morning. Came out and there was no hitch in the morning, so I don't know what happened to him. But yeah, he hit somewhere else. Uh, so yeah, the barges. Everybody wants to know about the barges. I tried to get his. You know, it's kind of like the Grand Canyon or anything else, right? The pictures just don't do him justice. But the barges were tremendous, and everything. Everything on the way down to. St. Louis, I believe, all through the, the 27 locks and dams, I think the max, the max amount of barges that you would have uh, behind a, a pushboat or in front of a pushboat would be 15, I believe, it was the max. So it was usually three across and five deep. At three across and five deep, they couldn't even make it through the locks all in one piece. They had to split, do what they called a split, um, split the barges up into two different pieces to, to bring them through the locks. So that would take you know, if, if you got there after a, a barge had gotten to the lock, uh, before you got there, you'd be waiting two and a half hours for, a, for a, a barge to get through there before you could go through. So you just had to pull off and camp on the side of the river until, until you get through. We did have one, uh, one instance where the tugboat captain that worked the lock right there, you know, they have a, a tugboat there just in case they need to push these barges in different directions. Uh, it just kind of stays with each lock. It's assigned to a lock and this guy, saw that we were waiting for a couple hours and said, hey, do you guys want something to eat? And had some fresh vittles that he had, he had made up there in, in the barge and just you know, handed it down to us, gave us some fresh bottled water. So more river magic, uh, just more pictures of barges. This is probably, this is the biggest one that I saw on the river. Um, the, the two people that I got that are finishing up behind me next week, I've actually seen one bigger than this, but you know, this, that was down in the busy area, Baton Rouge. Um, area, but this one here, this particular one is 42, so it's six by seven. Massive. I mean, it's the size of a football field. It's huge. Um, this one was around. Uh, I want to say this uh, Fort Riley, I think, was the name of the fort, but it's. it's I, th I thought it was a cool barge. It was painted, you know, army colors and had all these, all this uh, army stuff on there. So. Uh, this is just a picture of some lock and dams. So this is actually what the dams will look like, you know, just coming all the way across, damming up the water. They've got little hydraulic uh, gates on each one of these sections of the dam. You know, each particular one is a different opening for the water to flow through. So depending on how much water they want to let loose, they'll open up those gates and, and water will start flowing through. So at the time we were going through, there wasn't a lot of flow going on because it was a drought, low water levels, there's no rain going on. So they're not letting out a lot of water. The other disadvantage we had early on was no flow. You know, if they're not letting water out to come down, then there's no water that's going to be flowing. It's kind of stagnated. So we, uh, we did not have very good flow to start with. Once we got through St. Louis and got through that last lock and dam, they probably picked up a good four miles an hour, you know, the flow. And they were letting some more water through, too, at that point. So uh, this is actually inside of a lock. Birds like to hang out. There was a lot of dead fish usually hanging around over there, so they like to kind of hang out. Uh, this is actually inside of a lock. 
So you can see what I'm talking about, the wall. I don't remember if that's where we started in that particular lock or if that's where we ended up. But, you know, I mean, you can see there's a good 15, 20 feet at least of, of wall that you see that uh, the water has dropped down that far. The guys that work the lock, you know, will come over and throw the rope down to you and you just hold on to the rope and hang out. Uh, what you see here in the water, this was actually blue-green algae. So they had a, a huge blue-green blue algae problem going on in the upper river. And um, some of the lakes and stuff, I, I think I heard, actually shut down because it's supposed to be a health hazard, you know, uh, breathing hazard, asthma, those type things. So, but a ton of blue-green algae. There were some, some points of the river where we didn't even want to get in the water. It was so thick. Um, I didn't really care too much about it, but some of the other guys had a big problem with blue-green algae. This is actually the very last lock that we went through. So this lock actually takes you into the swamp. That's the last one that you have to go through. And it was probably, definitely if it, it would have been the first lock, it would have been my scariest lock. But this one probably, I think it, I want to say it dropped 50 to 55 feet in this lock. And the noises that it made as the water was dropping was just unreal. I mean, it was like a haunted, it was like a haunted lock is what it was. We should have gone through um, on Halloween, but. Uh, you know, so there's a few pictures, you know, we we tried to stop in towns along the way, you know, those bridges I talked about, you saw a bridge, you're like, okay, it's a place to buy some beer. Uh, so we would buy beer, try and get some local stuff, and we'd take it out on the river with us, at least have a beverage. We didn't really use the cooler as a cooler, so we didn't usually have ice, so it was always, unless we drank it immediately when we bought it, it was normally a warm beer, but it was better than no beer at all. Uh, some more of them. This one I thought was cool. I actually got it at the Mark Twain Brewing Company in Hannibal, Missouri, the home of Mark Twain. And then what we decided finally was, you know, we're drinking all this warm beer. We can go buy this box of wine, and it doesn't have to be chilled. You know, red wine, you can drink warm, so we'd be better off just buying some wine, right? Uh, what am I drinking out of right here? No, <laughs> yeah. Now, these little cups actually attach to the bottom of the jet boil. So it's like a measuring cup for the jet boil, so you know how much water you're pouring in, how much water you're boiling. And then you can just use it as a drinking cup as well. So. And I think that's about it. So if we wrap all this up, I well, know here's more support. Okay, so uh, like I said, American Legions, uh, BFWs uh, were, were big supporters for us. Um, like I can see that big barge in the back back, back there. But, this is actually a beach we pulled out. Um, Harry and Eric, they were always in front. They were always our navigators. This is Harry, this is Eric, this is Willie. They were always our, our navigators and our, our scouts. So they, they were always ahead of Willie and I, and they would go out in front uh, the night prior. And of course, the morning uh, of, we would say, okay, we're, gonna, we're going to this campsite, you know, 30 miles down the river, 25, 35 miles, whatever. So we all had a landing point. We all knew where we were headed to. They got to this campsite first. It's just a big, big beach sandbar. It was probably, you can't see it back here, but there was probably 20 boats, you know, pulled up and everybody just swimming, camping, partying, barbecuing, having a good time. So we, Willie and I come pulling up and we're like, man, we hope that that is not where we're, where we're going right there. It looks so busy because, you know, you, you paddle all day, you paddle eight, nine hours a day. You really just want to get to camp and just relax. You don't want to have, you know, be talking to a whole bunch of people and having to do a whole bunch of stuff. You want to get, you want to set your tent up, you want to get in it and go to sleep. There was a party going on here, so we ended up partying with these guys. 
these guys were the closest to us, probably right there behind my shoulder. They gave us uh, all the food they had cooked. They, they brought all their food over to us, all their coolers of beer, and just hung out and partied with us the rest of the day. So more, more river magic, I guess. Uh, these are our very first supporters, uh, uh, the Broman Shankles. That was up in Minnesota. Very first stop we made. Um, I can't remember what town, the middle one. I want to say that's Carruthersville. Um, two different places we had the local sheriff's department come and pick us up at the boat ramp, but not because we did anything wrong, but uh, they just came, supported us, picked us up. The, uh, so that's the local sheriff's department of Carruthersville, I think. Uh, this is Danny Majors. This is the guy on the Edgefly Swamp, Edgefly Dreaming. He's the one that cooked us to Jambalaya and set us on our way that next morning. Uh, this was in Lansing. Um, what's Lansing? Iowa? Missouri? I can't remember. There's a bunch of Lansing. Uh, this is Cape Girardeau. This is actually, no, this is Carruthersville. This is actually the mayor of Carruthersville. This is in Natchez, Mississippi. This is the girl that brought us uh, brownies. Um, this is in St. Louis, another supporter in St. Louis. We stayed a couple of days there. And I meant to look this up last night because I, I forgot this guy's name, but this was in um, Alton, Missouri, I think. I think this is the home of the, the world's tallest man. I can't remember his name. So that's us standing to a picture of, he's dead now, but um, that's us standing to a picture of him. So imagine that's, that's how tall this guy was. This was some post here. I'm wearing a different outfit. We tried to wear the same outfit every time we went out. You know, we had two sets of, uh, of gear uh, to, to showcase warrior expeditions while we were in town. Um, this particular day, I didn't get the memo on what we were supposed to be wearing, so I had on a different outfit. Yeah, that could have been it too. And I think these are the last two pictures. This is, we actually pulled into a town unexpectedly. Uh, we, we didn't plan on going there, but Willie actually had hurt his back one day, so he's got this little corset on or whatever back brace on. But we pulled into this town, uh, up to this marina, and Harry got there first, pulled up to the marina. This is the owner of this oyster bar. This is one of the bartenders here. Um, Pulled up and said, said, hey, we're with War Expeditions. We're paddling the Mississippi River. Can we stay at your uh, stay at your marina and, and can we get something to eat? Got to let us stay for free. Paid for all our meals. Great guy. These two guys here, we were actually um, camped at a site. And I think these guys were following our journey um, on the Mississippi Paddlers page and the River Angels page. Found out where we had landed this day on this sandbar, this beach, had a grill set up on it already, a standard grill. These guys jumped in their boats, came out with some, uh, some brats and some chicken and some beer, cooked us a meal. Yeah, yeah, you know how it is. I wear, I wear short shorts, but yeah. So yeah, these guys just pulled up and just cooked us a meal right there on the beach. Didn't even know him. 
And that's really about it. I mean, to wrap it all up, you know, we started July 14th. Uh, we went to October 15th is when we officially finished. Uh, 2,200 miles-ish around there. Uh, we had 27 river angels that supported us along the way. And um, acts of kindness, that's what AOK means, so river magic, you know, about 50 different uh, magic out there. 90, 94 total days is what it took us to go. Uh, 87 days paddling. Um, Eric and Harry there, which you see in the picture there at the top on, on either side of me, they actually took, took them 89 days. I, I took two extra days of leisure along the river than they did, so I took two more days off. So I had to, to do extra paddling to catch up with them, so I, I spent less days on the water because of that. Uh, two, two less days than they did. But um, I enjoyed myself in a couple of towns and stayed overnight. So uh, total over the trip, probably over a, ma over a million paddle strokes. Uh, we did lose one boat. It's still missing in action. We have no idea where it is. Uh, we were on a sandbar, uh, another exposed sandbar, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a raised sandbar, so we didn't come up onto it. It was a real flat sandbar that we, we got up onto. And normally, you know, we pulled our boats up off the river, which you would think would be far enough off the river to, to be safe. Uh, normally, there's a water line. You know, you would see a water line from the waves that crash up, you know, when the barges and traffic comes by. They create a water line, so we would pull it up at least to that water line, but normally two or three, four feet past that, which is what we did on the sandbar. We didn't realize at the time that the water was going to be raising uh, 1.7 feet that night. So because we were on such a low uh, sandbar, that 1.7 feet of rise in the river equated to about a 13 to 14 feet um, takeover of the, of the beach. So washed up, you know, water came right up underneath our canoes, washed two of them out. There was only three of us on the sandbar at this point out of the four of us, but um, washed two of our canoes out, mine being one of them. We ended up calling the, uh, the Coast Guard and said, hey, we've, you know, we're on a sandbar, we're paddling the Mississippi River. We just, this was two o'clock in the morning, mind you, when, when we found this out. Um, we've got two canoes going down the river somewhere. We have no idea where they are and all our equipment, but we just want to let you guys know that there's no people in these canoes, you know, that it's just canoes going down the river, so don't send out a search party for any people. But uh, we are stuck on the sandbar, and we kind of need to, to get off of it. We've only got one canoe, there's three of us. So they said, well, we can't really help you. That's out of our jurisdiction. You'll have to call the local uh, police department, sheriff's department. So we called, uh, I can't even remember where exactly we were at this point, but I knew we were, we were just north of uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So we we're pretty far, you know, 1,600 miles into this trip, I guess. But so we called the local sheriff's department and they said, well, here's a better idea. Call 911 because 911 will have a better way to, to track your exact location and pinpoint exactly where you guys are so we can get to you. So we called 911 and uh, they said, well, we're going to wait till daylight. And they said, yeah, well, we'll wait till daylight as well because we might be able to spot our canoes somewhere. You know, uh, we were kind of in what they call a wing dam area. So it's kind of a little cove that's cut out with these wing dams that they kind of feed the river, the, the, the flow and the current in one direction. So we got up at daybreak and, and tried to find both of our canoes, couldn't find them. So the cops said, okay, we'll be out there. They dropped the boat in 16 miles down river and, and, and boated up to us. When they got up to the sandbar where we were, they could see us and they, they bullhorned out to us and say, we can see you, but our boats will only allow us to go into water um, that's at least five feet deep. So they couldn't get all the way up to the beach. They said, is there any way you guys can get out to the boat? And we said, no, we only got one canoe and we've got all this gear. Um, the canoe 
hadn't really waited, uh, you know, weight-wise for, for two of us to get in there and ferry each other out. So we really can't do it. And we don't know what the current's going to be like, what the undertow might be like in the river. So we're not, we're not swimming out there. So they went up and down the river for about 15 to 20 minutes trying to find a boat captain, a tugboat captain of some sort that could drop their, their longboat off of the back of their, back of their pushboat, their tug, um, that could get into some shallower water. So they finally found a, a tugboat, got two of their crew members, you know, deputized and whatever. They came out with their longboat and were able to pull right up to the shore and grab us. So they, they helped us get in the, the boat, loaded all our gear into it. Eric paddled his canoe out to the, to the sheriff's boat and uh, uh, the tugboat crew ferried us out. We got in and started going downstream to the, to the boat landing that they had put in at 16 miles down river. And about four miles down the river on the left, they see my boat, my canoe sitting there just kind of lapping up against the, the shore. <laughs> so it had gone down just three or four miles. <clears throat> we went the rest of the 16 miles, didn't ever see Harry's canoe. Um, so we had to make a hard decision at that point. Are we gonna continue on uh, without Harry? Is Harry gonna get a new boat? So we made a decision to stick together as a team. I don't know why it chokes me up, but we stuck together as a team and he bought a new boat there in Memphis. They, they got us to Memphis and we stayed overnight, kind of made these decisions um, as a team. And uh, Harry went ahead and got a new boat, new paddle, new flotation device, all this new gear. Luckily he had you know, all the stuff that's inside the canoe. We had pulled it up to camp, so he had all that stuff up there, but got a new boat and he finished the journey with us. So. Um, I lost 27 pounds on the trip. I think Harry lost 33 pounds. Eric actually gained three pounds. I don't know how Eric gained three pounds, but um, yeah, he was the only one thing. Um, and that's really about it. And I just kind of put this thing down here. You know, the more simple we make our life, the happier we become, I guess. So that's what I learned on the river. That's it. Went a, a little long. I don't want to keep you guys here any longer than normal. It's supposed to be five to six. I know we started about 15 minutes late, but does anybody have any questions, comments? Yeah, we got extremely lucky. Yeah, I mean, you hear all the horror stories, not horror stories, but you hear the stories of the weather and you're gonna have rain, and you're gonna have thunderstorms and you're gonna have all these mosquitoes and bugs and blah, blah, blah. And we really got blessed and got lucky with maybe a handful of really bad weather days. Yeah, yeah. And, and even if we did have bad rain, it normally wasn't a thunderstorm, so we still paddled in, in the rain. You know, we're gonna get, we are wet anyways. I mean, that, probably the worst part of the entire trip was you were never dry. I mean. Maybe in a hotel overnight you got dry, but for the most part you were wet the entire trip. Whether it be your feet, your pants, whatever, from sweat, from the river. Uh, a couple times from a couple people falling in the water, but we won't talk about that. I did not fall in the water. Uh, I think Eric went in to drink twice. I think Harry went in once. The very first day, as a matter of fact, Harry went in the water. Um, nobody ever capsized their canoe. We did take on some water here and there with barge traffic and waves and some different things, but nobody ever um, capsized or, or, or sank the canoe or got, got swamped out, as they would call it. But, and then the same thing with bugs. You know, because of the drought, because of low water levels, there wasn't a whole lot of bug either. So we got very lucky as far as mosquitoes.
until we hit the swamp. Support people followed you the whole group or just part of it? No, no, no. The the Warrior Expeditions people, yeah, there was two of them. So so one of them was Sean, you know, the actual founder of the organization, and then the other one was Michelle. She's the one that puts together all the equipment and ships it out and gets it all to you and orders and, and everything. And they traveled with us for the first four days. That's what I thought you said. Yeah, so we, we put in on a Wednesday, and they stayed with us until that Saturday to make sure, like I said, that everything worked. We knew what we were doing and fixed any problems, um, gave us some tips and tricks on navigation and how to find a campsite and all this stuff. So, but yeah, after that, did that, they keep track of you as you went along to make sure you were still, you know, with us? <laughs> they did. They they kept track of us. Yeah, um, they were on Google Maps. You had the option to share your location, so we actually shared our location with those guys, so they knew exactly where we were at any given time on the river, and we knew where each other were. So if we got split up, I would know that Harry's, you know, ten miles ahead of me at this campsite or whatever. You could see his little faces, little pin, and we dropped pins to let everybody know where we were at any given time so but yeah they fought us down and, and and they gave us support along the way you know we three of us out of the four broke our initial paddles that we had so they had to resupply some paddles we had to get some new clothing items a couple of times uh one of the guys his uh, sleeping mat uh got a hole in it so you know wouldn't hold air on a sleeping mat in his tent so they would provide support and they'd figure out where we we're going to be in three or four days and they'd send something in the mail to to meet us when we got to that next location. So, yeah, really good support. I have a couple questions for you, Jim. Um, when, you, when you saw the bridges, did you go into town? What did you do with your ship? Did you lock it up? We were really concerned about that initially, and the War Expedition guys told us, don't worry about it. You're, you know, nobody's, the river's a different animal. People are, aren't, you know, the type people that are out there on the river and around the river they're usually not going to steal your stuff or mess with your stuff. So they told us just leave it, you know, take your valuables with you, obviously, but um, just kind of push it up and put it out of sight somewhere. And that's pretty much what we did. We had um, cable locks on the, on the front of each of our canoes, so we could actually, you know, cable them all together. So if you got all four of them tethered together, it's a little harder to steal four 59-pound canoes at one time than, you know, if they were individuals. So we would lock them up like that. Every now and then we'd tie them up to a tree, or we try and hide them in a bush, you know, some brush somewhere or whatever. But for the most part, you just pulled them up and took your valuables out, and you were you were good to go, really. Um, but on occasion, we, you know, uh, call ahead to a marina and say, hey, we're pulling up. We're going to be camping around your marina. Can we use one of your slips and tie up to your marina? And so we'd have some places where there was security around or a state park or something that they would say, you know, we'll have a patrol coming around watching your stuff and whatever. Some people put them on a trailer and took it to their house with us, you know. But most times they were just sitting on the side of the river. Yeah. And then with like the water, do you guys drink the water? Did you filter the water or do you have like supplied water? Um, <clears throat> I filtered the water uh, about halfway through. I, I ended up buying a water filter. But they gave us a, a two and a half gallon water bladder that, uh, you know, collapsible water bladder that we would fill up. So as long as you had a location where you could fill up, you know, every two, three days, you had plenty of water. Um, we ended up buying a couple extra of those bladders. You know, we'd get to a Dick's Sporting Goods or REI or something. We bought some extra water, and then I ended up buying a water filter. I said, man, I'm, instead of carrying all this extra weight, because, you know, a pound of water is eight pounds. So if you're carrying five extra gallons of water, what's that? Forty extra pounds in your boat, you know. So I, I started carrying a filter, so I didn't have to carry all the weight. The other guys weren't too sure about filtering the Mississippi River water and, and didn't want to partake in it. They did. 
when they needed to, you know, when they really wanted some water, they drank it, but I wasn't too worried about it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, probably in the first three days, I was tired of seeing seeing the water, to be honest. I mean, I probably almost quit this river 30 times at, at least. Um, and in the first three days, I had a problem with my boat. We finally figured it out uh, before the support left us. I had a problem. I could not keep my boat from going to the left. I mean, I would literally go in circles, in left-hand circles. And I, the first three days, I threw my paddle up numerous times and said, F this. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I would paddle 20 times on my left side compared to one time, you know, 30 to one stroke on, on left to the right, just trying to correct my boat. And finally, they found out there was a problem with my seat where the seat was, um, the seat was leaning to the right-hand side. So I was, all my weight was kind of to the right-hand side of my seat, which makes the boat kind of spin to the left. So we, once we fixed the seat and got me all squared away and evenly distribute some of the weight out in the boat and figured out some better placement of some things. My trajectory changed and I was able to paddle, but I, I was about, I was done the first three days. What's that? Oh, yeah, that, that would be the, yeah, that, that would exactly be the reason why. Yeah, we should get on the water before we get on the water, but yeah. Uh, no, I mean, in a boat, maybe, maybe a ferry boat, you know, river boat, cruise or something, maybe. But yeah, no. But there was a couple of times we had two different towns, uh, Vicksburg being one of them, on the Yazoo River. We had to actually go upriver to get to the landing spot that they wanted us to land at. So we had to go against the current, against the grain on a couple of different rivers to get uh, to the landing point of our supporters. So. Oh, it was no fun. The Vicksburg was one of our least favorite days. After we paddled probably 33 miles that day, and then to have to go two miles up this river against the current was was not fun at the end of that day. But anything else? What's that? Who asked that? Would I do it again? You know, I get asked that question quite often, and right now my answer would be no. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, if somebody, I don't know, if somebody really twists my arm to maybe do it again, I, I think I could definitely do it better than I did the first time. Um, so, yeah, I probably would. Uh, you know, somebody like Richard or somebody, you know, a great paddler back here, or Cody, or somebody say, hey, let's go do the river. I might say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be way different. And I would probably, probably take more time the next time I did it, even though 94 days, you know, was a pretty good amount of time. But... I'd probably stretch it out to 100, 110 days, maybe just to be less wear and tear on the body and just enjoy it. You know, enjoy maybe more of the towns along the way. Well, you might get a hankering to go back and get that 40 miles. Of yeah, um, we've talked about that, Eric and I, because Eric was really disappointed. He's, he's pretty hardcore. He was a ranger in the Army, and he was, I mean, I could see him just gritting his teeth when they pulled us out of the water after three miles and said, we're going to drop you 40 miles down river. He was like, no, damn it. I'm doing source to sea. I want to do every single mile on this thing. And, and eventually, you know, 20 days into it, when somebody would say, um, you know, if you, we'll put your canoes in the back of the truck and we'll take you around this one dam so you don't have to portage. Eric was like, yes, let's do, let's do that. Yeah.
let's let's break let's get rid of some of these miles. So he changed his tune pretty quickly, but yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a lot, and I'm I'm still, I still have some pains from it. So well, it's, it could have been thirty million to one if they didn't get that secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone that far. But. Anything else? All right, I think we'll wrap it up. Let these guys get out of here. We got, uh, if anybody is interested, we got Paul Stone Project playing next door at Oak Road Brewing Company. He's gonna be doing some blues for us tonight. He actually wrote a song for me on the river. He'll be performing that tonight sometime, I hope. And uh, you know, we'll give these guys some love over here, drink a couple beers. You can ask me more questions, whatever. I appreciate you guys coming out. Good job. Thank you for your Thank service. You. I never did tell you that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, appreciate you coming.